This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Friday, December the 3rd, 2021. I'm Guy Benson. This is the Guy Benson Show. Welcome one and all. We're so glad that you're here. We air live, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, every weekday. We also have a podcast where you can catch the show for free on demand whenever you'd like. GuyBensonShow.com is the home base online for the program. All the ways to listen live, including through Odyssey.com. A-U-D-A-C-Y.com, one of our partners. Many ways to listen live as we air, or as I mentioned, that free podcast every day. GuyBensonShow.com, including Bonus Benson on the weekends. Here's the lineup today. Josh Krasauer talking politics later this hour. Matt Finn with the latest on the Smollett trial in Chicago. Some fireworks yesterday and some explosive testimony. We'll get to that. Matt Napolitano with sports ahead of the big championship weekend in college football starting tonight. Cat Tim, Fridays with Cat, ahead of the Christmas party. And indeed, twas the night before our Christmas party. And all through the house where we dwell, not a creature was stirring, especially poor Carousel. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you really need to listen to the home stretch every day. And we will have a home stretch for you today on this subject, the Benson Christmas party that we are gearing up for tomorrow. It's going to be quite something. And yes, producer Christine and company will be in attendance. So you don't want to miss that at the end of the show. Fox News alert as we get going. Let's bring you statistics. COVID cases, 48.7 million. In the United States, it's much higher than that. And now there's all sorts of confirmed Omicron all over the place. All right, last I saw was six or seven states at this stage. And the reality is it's here. It has been here. It's been circulating in certain parts of the world for weeks, if not months. And the questions that we keep seeking answers to, we don't have answers yet. But so far, knock on wood, so good on the virulence and vaccine questions. Those are the early indications, and we're going to continue to urge calm and not totally throwing our expectations off based on a new variant. The death toll here in America, people dying with or of COVID, is up to 784,164 over the course of now pushing two years. The Dow is once again down, up and down we go on Wall Street. Dow down 278 points at this hour, trading at 34,355. We have just about 50, five zero minutes left in the trading week. We will keep an eye on that. Now, part of the reason 
that the markets may be back down after a big rebound yesterday is a really disappointing jobs report that came out this morning. The Wall Street Journal reporting hiring slowed last month amid COVID-19 uncertainties, but people returned to the labor force in droves. So it's sort of mixed. The U.S. economy added a seasonally adjusted 210,000 jobs in November, the smallest gain since last December, and well, well below expectations. I know some people have said previous months have been revised up, so maybe this is a low ball, but still it's not even close. This is a huge miss. Here's what the news of the big jobs miss sounded like this morning on a few of the other networks. Here's cut 34. To be honest, you see uh, 210,000 jobs added back. That's less than half of what economists were expecting, and it's half of what we saw last month. Half of the expectations, half of what we saw last month. More here in Cut 35. You look at the jobs and how it is here. September and October were both revised higher, remember, but then this disappointment in November. And I look through these numbers, John, and I see a lot of customer-facing jobs had very little job growth, if at all. So customer-facing jobs, that could be that it's not the job problem, it's the worker problem. Workers aren't going back to those customer-facing jobs. Yep, and there are reasons for that. A few complicating factors. The government has not really helped in a number of those cases. Here's another soundbite, cut 36. The uh, change in non-farm payrolls comes in only half the level we anticipated, 210,000. That's a real surprise, and that is going to cause some head-scratching at the Fed. What do we do about that? One more, cut 37. Our November uh, jobs report is coming out, 210,000 on non-farm payrolls, a huge miss, 235,000 on private payrolls, and... If we look at what's going on with regard to the change in manufacturing, 31,000. That's also a bit of a miss. So that's CNN, that's Bloomberg, that's CNBC reacting this morning to a number that was much, much lower than the experts had been anticipating and projecting. Now, what we do see is an effort at the White House and among Democrats to try to put the happiest spin possible on some of the weak numbers that are out there. I think my favorite one that I've seen in a very long time was a tweet yesterday from the DCCC. So that's the campaign arm of the Democratic Party tasked with electing House Democrats. They're the ones who are going to have a very difficult job ahead of them holding the House. I think most people tend to understand that. One of their uh, top consultants tweeted yesterday something about arresting criminals not working, saying, oh, you, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, you hear about people getting arrested, and then they report that that person had been arrested before, and that suggests that simply arresting criminals doesn't work. I think that there are some flaws in that analysis. This, of course, is from the party that has an element that's been pushing defund the police. Close the prisons, abolish the prisons. Looting isn't really looting. Speech is violence. Violence is speech. And arresting criminals uh, maybe doesn't work. That's an interesting take. But the tweet that I was referring to is from the DCCC itself. And at first, I thought it was a joke. But no, this is from the official blue checkmark verified account. It said, thanks, Joe Biden. 
And then it posted a graph with no start date showing gas prices down by two cents over the span of one week. You look at the the x-axis of this graph is amusing. Like, oh, Joe Biden stepped up and led America. And between the 22nd and 29th of November, look at these gas prices falling over seven whole days. Bad enough. But what most people got a real kick out of, including some Democrats, I know some professional Democrats who were tweeting incredulously that this was put out by the party. Like, what the actual hell are you thinking? Even some fact checkers who tend to favor the Democrats were like, ooh, yikes. The y-axis on this chart was two cents. The big dip in gas prices, thanks to Joe Biden, was two cents. It was just spectacular. The Republican Study Committee responded with a trolling tweet that was using a similar graph on DCCC staffers fired in the last 24 hours, and it was it went from zero to one, and it was a huge spike. Thanks, Joe Biden. You know that things are sort of desperate when that's the spin that they decide to actually officially put out on their campaign account. A drop in gas prices by two cents over one week where they make the axes so ridiculous to, to at least indicate a small drop-off. Even the way that they sort of rigged it, it still was this very minor decline, and they went with that. Someone made the graphic. Someone thought of it. Okay, someone thought of this. Let's do this. And the rumor is that they may have seen it from a guy who used to work at Vox, Matt Iglesias, who tweeted something sarcastically. To this effect, and someone may have not detected the sarcasm, like, oh, yeah, let's make that into a thing for us. So someone thought of it. Then they had some graphics person mock it up. They said, okay. They ran it up the chain. They were like, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, This is good for Biden. Put it out there. That was uh, not terrific. And then you add that to what happened hours later this morning with the job number. And not necessarily a banner day or banner end of the week for the DCCC with a steep climb, as I mentioned, ahead of 2022 for that group. Speaking of which, there's a New York Times story that's interesting. They interviewed at the Times, Jonathan Martin, the reporter, interviewed a guy named Brian Stryker, who's a Democratic pollster. So he's been doing polling in the field. He's been conducting focus groups with Virginia voters because, of course, Republicans were able to win in Virginia last month. And he put together a, quote, bluntly worded memo to his own party. Here's what the story says. Brian Stryker, a Democratic pollster, didn't work for Terry McAuliffe's campaign in the Virginia governor's race. But McAuliffe's narrow defeat in a liberal-leaning state alarmed him and most every Democratic political professional. The defeat also prompted a centrist group, Third Way, to have Stryker convene focus groups to examine why Governor-elect Glenn Youngkin won in a state that President Biden had carried by 10 points last year. 
Stryker drafted and posted a bluntly worded memo with his analysis from the focus group. And that memo has circulated widely within the party. The participants in this focus group hailed from the suburbs of D.C. and Richmond and each had the same political profile. They had all supported Joe Biden in 2020 and had either voted for Yunkin in November or had strongly considered supporting Yunkin. So one of the things that this pollster found, he says, I was surprised by how dominant education was in this election. I was also struck by how much it was this place for all of these frustrations for these suburban voters where they could take out all of their covid frustrations in one place. So it's not just education. And by the way, we have more on education coming up later in the show. I have an update on critical race theory, a few of them, actually, that you want to hear. It wasn't just CRT and racial stuff in schools and, you know, the the rape scandal in Loudoun County. There's a lot that all built up. I think a huge overwhelming factor, though, was Democrats and teachers unions being the alliance that shut schools down needlessly for a year plus. With basically no apology and no self-reflection about how that was the wrong decision, as the data and the science showed, as schools all over the country proved last year, Florida, for example. Now you've got some of these same people doing like mental health school closures. That was a very big deal. There was a piece in The Atlantic, I actually mentioned it last night on TV, where someone wrote the piece in a liberal publication saying, hey, we opened the schools and everything was fine. Yes. Yes, that's what happened the previous year, too. That's what people were pointing to when you all were screaming about how it's just death traps for children and Ron DeSantis wants to murder a bunch of kids or whatever. Opening the schools in Europe and in Florida and private schools across the country and throughout much of the nation was fine last year. 2020. And then the closures continued and continued and continued in some of these places, including in Virginia. So that was a big factor. And then it was just covid frustrations in general. In the Virginia race, I remember the attack ads. I watched them all the time. I got them all the time in the D.C. market. Glenn Youngkin doesn't want to force kids to wear masks in schools. Glenn Youngkin is anti-vaccine because he's not in favor of mandates. He was not anti-vaccine. He was opposed to mandates. He was opposed to mask mandates for little kids based on the science. They pummeled him with that stuff. They pummeled him on abortion. And then, of course, Trump, Trump, Trump. But they tried on COVID and they lost. Because according to this Democratic pollster, that vote in Virginia in November. I think this is true in New Jersey as well. It was a place for particularly suburban voters to, quote, take out their COVID frustrations all in one place. Meanwhile, I see that Oregon is moving to move their mask mandate and make it permanent. Like, oh, we can repeal it later, but we want to make it permanent so we don't have to review it every 180 days. That is the opposite direction. If that's the direction, even somewhat, that Democrats want to keep taking into 2022, I think there might be a lot of COVID frustrations to take out in one place next November. This pollster also said this, talking to his own party Democrats, I would tell them we have a problem. We've got a national branding problem that is probably deeper than a lot of people suspect. Our party seems to think that maybe some things we're saying 
aren't cutting through, but it's much deeper than that. People think we're more focused on social issues than the economy, and the economy is the number one issue right now. And, well, look at what the Dow is doing today after that jobs report. So this warning seems certainly prescient, at least for now. Interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal as we creep closer to 2022. All right, it is Friday. I'm Guy Benson. Thank you for listening. We will be right back after this break. Don't go anywhere. Guy Benson will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. I'm Guy Benson. We are back. In the Michigan school shooting case, it looks like officials are charging the parents and they're trying to find the parents. There's a manhunt underway for the parents. They can't find the alleged shooter's family. It looks very much as though they were deeply negligent in these circumstances and that they knew potentially what he was going to do with text messages urging him not to do it. They didn't do anything. What an awful story. Another awful story. From Wisconsin, the Waukesha Christmas attack, the Christmas parade. Daryl Brooks driving his car, his SUV through a bunch of people. He is now speaking out. He gave an interview in jail where he is complaining and claiming victimhood. He's very upset that he's feeling demonized and dehumanized based on what he did. And it is hard for me to fully articulate how little I care that he feels that way. Perhaps he's being demonized because he's a career criminal and a convicted sex offender who's been arrested and jailed multiple times over decades for all sorts of terrible things. And then apparently in some effort to elude authorities or whatever in his latest crime in his spree, He drove his car through a Christmas parade and murdered six people. That's what the that's what you do if you want to get demonized, because that is a demonic thing to do. You should be demonized for that. And it's a sort of an insight into how his brain works, where he feels like, well, the the real victim here is him. The way people are talking about him after he's killed six and injured many many others scores of out of the gates and ready to go hey it's hutton with row hot mike is here on the outkick network we've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion and it's available wherever you find your audio daily analysis and news he is hot i am mike actually my <laughs> name is chad his name is jonathan but you get the picture we're gonna bring it every single day whatever you want to call us we'll respond to we just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day and while you're here we hope you subscribe to the podcast like subscribe and share others 
He says he feels dehumanized. I saw one social media user quip, well, maybe that's because everyone keeps calling him an SUV, which is actually a pretty good line, even if it's making light of a very horrible situation, poking fun at the media. Josh Krausauer coming up next, talking politics. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Friday on the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast free every day. And with us now, Josh Krasauer, politics editor at National Journal and a Fox News Radio political analyst. Josh, welcome back to the show. Hey, Guy. Great to be back. It is my understanding that this week was the banner week for you in your life, a big event. You turned the big 4-0. Is that right? Yeah, that's a big, big milestone, Guy. It's hard to believe I'm on my fifth decade now. (laughs) Well, happy birthday. Which is, thank you, Guy. How were you uh, feeling going into 40? Because I I was sort of super excited for 30. I don't know how I'm going to feel on the brink of 40. How did you feel? You know, it's kind of, uh, it's hard to believe, number one. If, if I was like a baseball player, I'd be, unless I'm, or a football player, unless you're Tom Brady, you know, you're pretty much in retirement age for sports right. at, <laughs> right. at 40. So, <laughs> but you know, look, I, it, it's, I've had, I've had, the 30s were great. I had a great decade. It, it just does show how, how time flies these days, how fast time flies these days. And uh, yeah, yeah hard to believe. It, it sort of is funny for me because, I find myself saying things that seemed like dumb and annoying when I was younger where adults who seemed old at the time, but they were really just like our age, right, in their 30s and 40s. Adults would say things like, you know, when I was your age, I'm like, oh, I don't care. You're so old. And now I'm saying it. And then they're like, time really flies. You're like, yeah, okay, whatever. Then all of a sudden you wake up and you're, you know, 40. (laughs) It's like, okay, wait, no, there's something to this after all. Yeah, and I, I, I can appreciate the disconnect increasingly between, you know, younger college graduates uh, that, that, you know, they, they don't, didn't watch the same TV shows, don't listen to the same music as, as I did. And that, that gap grows larger and larger as, as the years go by. So. Yes, exactly. Like, it's, uh, we can't really refer to, uh, you know, the youths as our peers anymore. They very much are not, uh, which is fine. It's part of life. All right, Josh, let's talk a bit about politics. I want to start. With this soundbite, because I saw it and I watched it last night, and I was sort of confused. It is cut 25. This is an answer, a statement given by Abigail Spanberger, who is one of the sort of more moderate Democrats. She's from Virginia. She's going to be in for a big fight, of course, in 2022. She was talking about Build Back Better, the Democrats' reconciliation spending bill. And uh, here's what she said. Listen. And then it was outrageously sort of incomprehensible dollar amounts. Am I talking about six trillion or three trillion or one point seven five? Right. When at the end of the day, those same people who are stressed out because their kids are about to go back to school and they're worried about COVID and do we put them on the bus or do we drive them or do we have them in aftercare? Or do we not? You know, and oh my goodness, I think prices are kind of creeping up at the grocery store and someone's on television arguing over three trillion or six trillion, like it's kind of a head exploding moment. So, Josh, that would sound like a fairly decent argument to be making if you're a Democrat about why you are opposed to spending trillions of dollars. But she voted for the bill, Josh. And I I mean, I just don't know. What is she doing? She's basically making a very persuasive 
argument against something that she just voted for. Yeah, guys, she's been making she's that argument is essentially what I've been we've been talking about on the show over the last couple of months in that you can look at certain polls and maybe you can find things that poll favorably within the Build Back Better legislation. But it is at, at odds with what most voters say they want out of the economy, that they're, they're worried about inflation. They're worried about higher prices. And they're also worried that the, 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 the excessive spending could cause unintended consequences, maybe even intended consequences when it comes to, you know, the, these inflationary effects. And yet you're right. She she was among or, or all but one, I think, of her House Democratic colleagues yep. in support yep. of, of the at least the House version of Build Back Better, which, by the way, is even more expensive than what it, it could come out of the Senate if it ever gets through the Senate. So, you know, there, there is this disconnect between what I think she understands is the political reality of what voters are telling her and, and where swing voters are throughout the country. But you're not seeing the actions uh you know, you know, corresponding actions and, and, and adjustments take place. And it, it reminds me, I mean, Spanberger was one of the um, members who was really worried about defund the police and, and how that was cost the Democrats politically. And I think what the Democratic Party is missing is it's not just about political spin. It's not just about messaging. I mean, I think Democrats have a problem with actually showing that their actions match their words, that they're, they're actually willing to call out some of the excess that's taking place within their party, not just complain about it, not just vote for it, and then say say something else to a different type of audience. Well, speaking of that and law and order and police-related issues and that sort of thing, we are seeing just an enormous number of stories cropping up all around the country, but especially out in California where you have these left-wing prosecutors sort of decriminalizing crime – And here's one example in Southern California from a local affiliate in Fox down there. And Cut 21, this is just – these types of stories are happening every single day. Listen. Brazen mobs of thieves keep robbing stores across L.A., leaving shoppers highly concerned because it just won't stop. Terrible. Senseless and pointless. So we have been keeping our head on the swivel, make sure we are aware of our surroundings. They would pull on car doors, and then they are just ran in like easily like 20 of them together. In Lakewood, Black Friday shopping turned to chaos at Home Depot when smash-and-grab thieves in ski masks stole every single sledgehammer and crowbar in the store. We're told up to 10 getaway cars were involved and that the thieves, ranging in age from 15 to 20, even threatened a customer. And they're apparently stealing sledgehammers and crowbars to then go and engage in more looting and mass organized crime. I play that clip because there was an exchange this week between Peter Ducey, who we had on the show just yesterday, our Fox News White House correspondent, and Jen Psaki, the spokeswoman for the president of the United States, where it sounded sort of like the White House was blaming some of these, you know, this crime wave of these types of activities on the pandemic, which, I mean, you can sort of maybe connect some dots to, you know, underlying issues or whatever, but I think that's a tough sell. So Ducey asked Saki about it, and here's what happened in Cut 18. Does the president still think that crime is up because of the pandemic? I think uh, many people have conveyed that, and also one of the reasons that crime, one of the root reasons crime, we've uh, root causes of crime in communities is guns and gun violence, and we've seen that statistically around the country. Right, to your point, so when a huge group of criminals organizes themselves and they want to go loot a store, a CVS, a Nordstrom, a Home Depot, until the shelves are clean, you think that's because of the pandemic? I think a root cause in a lot of communities is the pandemic. Yes. First of all, guns are not a root cause of crime. 
They are a tool used in crimes. Uh, So that's, I think, a very weak argument. But they're kind of doubling down here, Josh. And this goes to the point that you were making where they can talk, oh, no, we're we're against uh, this type of crime. We're against defunding the police. We need to have law and order. But then you have clearly organized groups of looting that has nothing to do with you know social justice unrest. It's just people going and taking advantage of weak on crime situations. And you have the White House sort of insisting, I think most Americans will say this is crazy, that it's just a byproduct of the pandemic. I wonder if that kind of partially proves your point on the rhetoric and reality here. It does. And, and when you hear the words root causes, which is a sort of a favored word by, by a lot of progressives and trying to explain bad behavior away. In the border kind of, crisis? But yeah, but by, by some kind of imaginary or, or perceived entrenched issue rather than the fact, as we've talked about on the show, Guy, that they're actual office holders that are reducing the penalties for criminal behavior. That, that, is, right. that, that, that you know, look, you can say guns are an issue. Gun laws have been pretty much the same in these jurisdictions for, for the last couple decades. There haven't been many changes in gun laws um, in that same time period. There have been changes to criminal penalties in many of these, especially blue jurisdictions that we've been talking about so often. San Francisco and Los Angeles just elected two district attorneys that, as you noted, Guy, have decided not to, not to prosecute a whole lot of crime, lower to mid-level crime, that they just don't they, they feel like they're adding to some degree of social justice by not doing so, and it's created a Equity. surge in violent uh, and, and property crime in those two jurisdictions in San Fran and Los Angeles. So the, yeah. the, it, you have to be willfully blind to um, think that um, changes in, in political uh, progressivism and, and changes in laws in these jurisdictions haven't contributed to the growth of crime. And it's something that they're going to – until they re- react – in a, in a policy direction to changing some of these laws in a, in a, in a tougher manner and doing what Eric Adams did in, in New York City in his mayoral campaign, campaigning actively, and calling out some of this behavior, they're going to get into a lot of political hot water. It's p- part of the problem the Democratic Party faces right now. Yeah, what you have instead is the White House just going along with this a crazy fairy tale story that the smash and grab, you know, mass looting is about the pandemic. That is a huge disconnect. And I think that's where voters are going to say, okay, you can you can talk a bit of a game saying, no, we're not those types of Democrats. And then you get asked that question, you give that answer. It's like, you know, head in the sand stuff from the spokesperson for the president of the United States. Josh Crossauer, we got to leave it there. Politics editor at National Journal, a Fox News radio political analyst. Happy birthday. Great to have you here. Thanks, guys. We'll be right back on The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Back here on The Guy Benson Show, a follow-up on a story we have been... Keeping tabs on closely, China, you talked about the leadership from the Women's Tennis Association, contrasting that with the Olympics, and sportscaster Bob Costas was on CNN yesterday, and I want to commend him for saying these things as bluntly as he did. He's calling out the International Olympic Committee, saying that they are in bed with China, and he didn't stop there. Cut 23. Well, the IOC is in bed with China. Beijing hosted the Olympics in 2008. 
summer games. They did it in spectacular fashion, but even then it was apparent to many of us that the IOC was aiding and abetting a problematic regime. And then they go back for the Winter Games in 2022, and in between they staged the Winter Games in Sochi. It's very troubling, their affinity for authoritarian regimes. So it's pretty clear that in the video uh, interview with Pang uh, a week or so ago, they were just giving China cover. Um, it was pretty clear that it was coached and it was all a setup. Meanwhile, you've got not just the IOC, you got the NBA and you got Nike and various individual sports stars in the United States who have significant investments in China, where the sports market is huge. And some of those people are very outspoken, as they have a right to be, and maybe in general you and I would agree with their viewpoints, very outspoken and sometimes offer sweeping condemnations of their own admittedly imperfect country, the United States. However, in Cut 24... When it comes to China, perhaps the world's leading human rights abuser, given its size and its and its wherewithal, their mom. Very, very few have anything to say. In fact, some object to any criticism of China. Meanwhile, China's playbook is always to shut down all criticism, to reject it out of hand, and then to exact some kind of price. When Daryl Morey, who then was in the front office of the Houston Rockets, tweeted something to the effect of stand with Hong Kong, all of a sudden, Rockets games were not on China TV. And the Rockets were a popular team because Gao Ming was the first big-time Chinese star in the NBA. And just this week, Ennis Cantor, the Celtics, criticized China. Celtics games gone, disappeared from Chinese TV. I'm glad to see a guy like Costas saying what he said. Because I suspect Costas leans left. I actually had dinner with him a few years ago. And he said things he's, you know, given commentaries about guns and that sort of thing in the past. But he didn't really hold back there. Naming names, NBA, Nike, and others. The hypocrisy point that we make so often, it needs to be made by people other than just conservatives, beyond just, you know, right-wing or right-leaning media. So good for Costas for saying those things. Meanwhile, in the Washington Post yesterday, Josh Rogan, with an exclusive Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman, under the Biden administration, personally told a Democratic senator that the administration wants to slow down and water down the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. This is this fight involving Senator Rubio with Chuck Schumer criticizing Rubio that we mentioned yesterday. We have heard reports that John Kerry, the climate czar, is lobbying against this because he wants to work with the Chinese on climate like, you know. He said, it's not really uh, in my realm, right? That's a, it's not my lane to worry about genocide and slave labor. We got to work on the climate stuff. So reportedly, he's working behind the scenes to water down or slow down and stop this bill, which had passed unanimously from the Senate, has gone nowhere in the House, the Democratic House. And then here's an additional piece of information The deputy secretary of state, Sherman, telling a Democratic senator, yes, the administration is, in fact, lobbying against this thing. They want it slowed down and watered down. This is slave labor we're talking about. In a regime oppressing brutally racial and religious minorities, right? This is like the woke equity human rights Biden administration 
I mean, what a joke, given what happened in Afghanistan, that they claim the mantle of human rights. And here they are telling their own party members that they want to slow this bill down and water it down. But they're on the side of the angels. And the real bad guy here is Marco Rubio because he wants to get the unanimously passed Senate resolution into actual law. How dare he do that? Doesn't he know that the Chinese object to it? Doesn't he know that there is a climate change negotiations underway? Doesn't he know that there are American companies with lots of money that might get threatened if we crack down on slave labor, goods created by slave labor in a genocide-ridden province in China? Senator Mitt Romney, Republican from Utah, gave a speech yesterday on the floor backing up Rubio. They are right. Rubio and Romney and the others who are speaking out on this are correct morally. It is absolutely clear. I mean, slavery, genocide, it does not get more black and white. So they are right on the merits. I think they're right on the politics as well. Chuck Schumer is sort of uh, sneering that this is about partisan obstruction, I think really misses the mark, given what's at stake here. Here's what Romney said on the floor yesterday, cut 31. Mr. President, I come to the floor to echo the sentiments of my colleague, Senator Marco Rubio. Our annual national defense bill is being held up because Speaker Pelosi and Leader Schumer are refusing to allow a vote on a provision, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, that prevents Chinese goods made with forced labor, slave labor, from entering the United States. This bill was previously passed by the Senate on a unanimous vote. The Chinese Communist Party's atrocities against its minorities, particularly the Uyghur people, include genocide and crimes against humanity. These are well known. Uyghur women are forcibly forcibly sterilized and impregnated by Han Chinese men. Adults are ripped from their families and are sentenced into concentration camps and carry out slave labor. He went on for a while backing up Rubio. He's, of course, right. And now we know that the delays and the opposition from Pelosi and Schumer, it's coming from the Biden administration. Doing in some ways the bidding of communist China because, oh, it's just it's also delicate. You have to understand. Romney also tweeted criticizing one of his friends who's a billionaire who was downplaying China's atrocities, said they're really just a strict parent. Romney called him out, which must have been tough, but it's the right thing to do. Good for these guys. you got to stand up. If you're not going to stand up on this, what will you do ever on anything? A new hour of The Guy Benson Show coming up. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. It is a brand new hour on the Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Glad to have you here. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. Many ways to listen live between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern every day. And then the on-demand, totally free podcast also there. GuyBensonShow.com. 
Fox News alert. The Dow closes down 59 points today, which is off session lows, but still down in the red, finishing up the week at 34,580. We go now to Chicago and Matt Finn, Fox News national correspondent. He's been following the Smollett trial on the hate crime hoax, and we've been following that story now for years on the show. And Matt, I know the defense is making their attempt today, but some interesting developments yesterday. Let's start with these brothers that were allegedly hired by Jussie Smollett to beat him up and try to make it look like a homophobic and racist hate crime while implicating Trump supporters. What did we learn on the stand in their testimony? Well, Guy, the Osendaro brothers spent the better part of two days testifying against Jussie Smollett. And the big takeaways were they say that Jussie Smollett crafted this hoax because he wanted attention in the media. They say that during the dry run, Jussie Smollett drove him to the exact stairwell where he wanted them to pretend to beat him. And then he pointed out a surveillance camera above that stairwell and told them that the surveillance camera was going to capture the incident and that he then wanted to use the video on social media and in the press to gain attention. Uh, The brothers went into vivid detail, uh, step-by-step, about what Jesse Smollett allegedly told them to do. They say that Smollett brought them into his Mercedes in a private area. He asked if he can trust them. They both said yes. And then he said, I want you to pretend to beat me, use racial and homophobic slurs, put a noose around my neck, buy red hats, and appear as Trump supporters, and then yell something related to MAGA. Well, that's basically exactly what the brothers did. And we also heard from the brothers first time that they both said that they were fully aware of what MAGA meant, that it was a Trump slogan, and that they were going to appear as Trump supporters beating uh, Jussie Smollett, guy. And the intended audience here was the media, right? Media attention? Yep. One of the brothers asked under oath on the stand, uh, one of the attorneys said, well, hey, you know, it was two o'clock in the morning. There was a polar vortex. There was no one on the streets. You weren't even aware if that, you know, surveillance pod camera was going to capture audio. Who was the audience? And the, one of the brothers testified that the audience was the media. No, well, it worked for a while. Certainly, there are a lot of people who wanted to believe it, including the woman who is now vice president of the United States. One of the motives that the police have mentioned now for a long time was that Smollett wanted more attention. He wanted to be more high profile on the show. He wanted to make more money. We learned in the trial he was making a hundred grand per episode on Empire, but I guess that was not enough for Smollett, so he decided to cook up this uh, this hate crime. There was also a moment that I saw you tweeting about yesterday, Matt, where the judge really got into it with one of the defense attorneys. You called it fireworks. What happened? You know, for the lack of a better word, there was a meltdown inside of that courtroom. I was outside. I was stepped away to do a live report on Fox for the beginning of it, but my producer filled me in on the beginning, and then I saw the second half. Um, one of Jesse Smollett's defense attorneys was questioning one of the Osendario brothers, and one of the things the defense was really trying to deliver to the jury was at one point, both the brothers had a, a text exchange where they called the person they assumed to be gay, Fruity. Uh, and the, the defense was going after them for that, saying that they were homophobic, uh, you know, that this indicated they may not like Justice Smollett because he was gay. And both the brothers said, look, it was a private message. It was a joke. Well, while the defense uh, attorney was going after one of the brothers for that text message, uh, the judge said that, you know, some of this is collateral that this is not related to Jussie Smollett. And apparently the defense attorney did not like that he said that in front of the jury. So she asked for a sidebar and then asked for a mistrial, saying that she was upset that the (laughs) judge said that this was collateral in front of the jury. And she started crying. Uh, And then she said the judge lunged at her. It was very dramatic, a lot of theatrics. 
Uh, in the end, the judge denied. Yeah, the judge stood up. He stood up, you know, um, he stood up emphatically, but he did not lunge at her. And uh, he said, look, there is no mistrial here. He said, some of the questions you were asking were not related to Jesse Smollett. They're what I consider collateral. And I even let you ask them. He goes, I allowed you to present them in court, but there were some times I was trying to rein it in. So the, the, the uh, attorney, she was crying. She had to leave the room, compose herself. Uh, and then eventually she got back in the room. The jury was brought back, and the judge told the jury, look, there's sometimes you may hear me say things like collateral. Try not to listen to that. Whatever is submitted as evidence is what you should be listening to. Well, I mean, just sounds like theatrics and desperation. So very much uh, like the client in this case, the defendant in this case, Jesse Smollett, at least in my view. That's the way this very much seems. Last question, Matt. There was an attempt by the defense to move for a dismissal at the end of the day yesterday, right? And the judge was like, no, there's there's plenty of evidence here. The prosecution has rested its case. Uh, where do things stand today, and when will the trial resume? I think we lost Matt. Well, that's okay. The answer is I think the trial resumes. I'll try to answer my own question. I think it resumes on Monday with the defense working today. In the meantime, I do want to give you a treat here on the Guy Benson Show. It is Friday, and this story, as I mentioned, has been a fascination for me ever since it happened because it was so obviously fake in my mind instantly, and yet we had a bunch of people out there jumping on the bandwagon that this is a big, big problem, and this was real because this is what America is under Donald Trump or whatever. It's completely fallen apart. And that's why we have this trial, and I hope that he gets what's coming to him in terms of, you know, the legal process here, Smollett. One of my favorite series of observations about this entire episode was from Dave Chappelle, the comedian. He did a previous Netflix special. He's constantly causing controversy, and the woke people hate him. He went after Jussie Smollett hilariously back in 2019. You may have heard this was the Sticks and Stones Netflix special. If you haven't heard it, you're in for a treat. This is just part of it. He did an entire bit at length making fun of Jussie Smollett, whom he called Juicy Smollier, which is hilarious unto itself. I don't know how he came up with that, but it's fantastic. The audience loved it, and we had to bleep a lot because it's Chappelle. But let's listen. This is only part of it. Together, though, on a Friday, I think we can indulge this a little bit because there's a news hook. The trial's underway. Here's Chappelle, cut 28. Oh, it was a crazy story. Apparently, when he was walking down the street late at night, two white men came out of the shadows uh, with MAGA hats on, beat him up, tied a rope around his neck, called him all kinds of and put some bleach on him and ran off into the night. It was like international news. And everybody was furious, especially in Hollywood. It's all over everybody's Twitter feed and Instagram page. Justice for Juicy and all this <laughs> The whole country was up in arms. He was talking about it all the time on the news. And, and for some reason, uh, African Americans, we were like oddly quiet. <laughs> We were so quiet about this that the gay community started accusing African-American community of being homophobic for not supporting him. What they didn't understand is that we were supporting him with our silence. 
because we understood that this was clearly lying. <laughs> it's so good. Justice for Juicy. That gets me every time. Clearly lying. They knew it. But these idiots, the in, the intended audience, the media and others, they went hook, line, and sinker because they wanted to believe it. Even though it was crazy. Like the audience is laughing in the background just based on the story. MAGA hats in the middle of the night, tied up with a rope around his neck, and then ran off into the night. The audience burst into laughter just at the story itself. So then Chappelle later talks about being the cop who has to respond to this. Chappelle is not super, he's not super pro-cop necessarily, and he makes this point at the very beginning. Listen to Cut 30. Black people never feel sorry for the police, but this time we even felt sorry for the police. Can you imagine if you was a police veteran taking this kid's police report? Okay, Mr. Smoulier, please tell me what happened. All right. 2 a.m. You left the house at 2 a.m. It's minus 16 degrees. All right. You were walking. You were walking. All right. And, and where were you going? Subway. Sandwiches? <laughs> That's when the men approach you? Did you see them? Do you have any? Okay, what, what do they have on? MAGA hats! MAGA hats on in Chicago? Excuse me one second, Mr. Smoulier. Frank, come here for a second. Find out where Kanye West was last night. Fantastic. Just fantastic. And that wasn't the end of it. There's a clip on YouTube that we pulled this from that Netflix had put out. In the Netflix special itself, Sticks and Stones, he keeps going a little bit further because, of course, it's revealed that the assailants, quote unquote, that we now know Smollett took on a dry run the day before were these Nigerian Brothers, they were told to do all this, told to use epithets, told to use the Trump slogan for these ridiculous reasons. So Chappelle ends up doing an impression of guys in a Nigerian accent shouting about MAGA country. It is so good. And it is funny, except for all the resources that Smollett burned up in a city that needed to the, for the police to be elsewhere. Because he had his own selfish, desperate reasons. We'll keep following it on The Guy Benson Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. Friday edition Guy Benson Show. Quick update on the Senate. Two senators getting a lot of attention, more moderate Democrats, Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, both making some news here in the last couple days. This from The Hill. Senator Joe Manchin said yesterday, this was last night, he is supporting a Republican effort to nix President Biden's vaccine mandate for larger businesses, which is expected to get a vote in the Senate next week. Quote, let me be clear, I do not support any government vaccine mandate on private businesses. 
That's why I have co-sponsored and will strongly support a bill to overturn the federal government vaccine mandate for private businesses, Manchin said in a statement. I have long said we should incentivize, not penalize, private employers whose responsibility it is to protect their employees from COVID-19, he added. I have personally had both vaccine doses and a booster shot, he went on, and I continue to urge every West Virginian to get vaccinated themselves. All 50 Republicans support the effort, and Manchin now gives those Senate Republicans enough support to pass a resolution to nix Biden's vaccine mandate. So that would pass the Senate with just a little bit of bipartisan support. It would go over to the House and probably die there. But that's interesting from Manchin and some of the left mad at him, as they often are. But they really hate Kirsten Cinema from Arizona because with him, they're like, well, it's West Virginia. Trump won that state by 40 points or whatever. He's the best we're going to get. In Arizona, they feel like she is far too moderate and independent, even though that's exactly the way she campaigned. They thought she was just lying about it, which is what a lot of these Democrats do. Like, oh, I'm an independent moderate. And they vote with Chuck Schumer every single time. She's not quite that way. She was asked about Build Back Better, the legislation. And, I mean, it's not going to pass the Senate, whatever came out of the House. It's just not happening. But something somewhat similar might. She was asked in an interview recently if she would be willing to back it. Would she commit to voting for something? And she would not. She would not commit to voting for something. Even in the abstract, I still think that ultimately she's going to. I think that they're going to get something passed, although I don't know. The clock is ticking. And this thing, I mean, it's December now. Do they want to push this into an election year? There might be more cold feet. If inflation continues to be a problem, then what? I think the delays make a bill less likely to come to fruition. But I still think ultimately she'll get there. It just won't look the way that many of the progressives want it to. But the fact that in principle she is not preemptively committing to support something, it is driving them absolutely up the wall. Maybe they'll chase her into another bathroom screaming at her while they film or haranguing and chanting outside of a wedding that she attended, drawing tears from the mother of the bride, begging them to stop and ruining her daughter's day. That's another really high-minded, super classy and effective thing that we saw from the hard left against Kirsten Cinema. But I did see this, and it made me laugh, and it drew absolute abject fury from the wokesters and the hardcore left-wingers on social media. A reporter at the Huffington Post, or HuffPo, tweeted this last night. Cinema's ringtone on her phone is the refrain from a song in the musical Hamilton that includes the lyrics, you don't have the votes. And if you've seen the show or if you've heard the soundtrack, it's Jefferson and others ridiculing Hamilton for not having the votes for one of his plans, I believe, on banking. And they're taunting him. And the guy playing Jefferson is openly mocking him. In fact, this is what it sounds like if you haven't heard it. Just a quick snippet. Cut 40. You don't have the votes. You don't have the votes. You're going to need congressional approval and you don't have the votes. So that's the song. That is Kirsten Cinema's ringtone on her cell phone. 
I don't think it's that exact part of the song. But there might be a deliberate troll embedded in there. Maybe not. Maybe she just likes the main chorus of this song, and that's her ringtone. But it does seem a little coincidental, I don't know, that she is one of the people who personifies Chuck Schumer and the progressive left not having the votes in the Senate, and her ringtone is a song that includes the lyrics, you don't have the votes. Ha, 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 ha. Like she's the one sticking out her tongue just a little bit. Oh, the deluge of just spitting, incoherent, almost blind rage in response to that revelation on Twitter was a sight to behold. And the thing about Senator Cinema is she doesn't really seem to care. She's like, nope, I campaigned to be something. I'm doing the thing. I'm not going to just go along with the party. No matter how much, and I almost wonder, the more they rage at her, could it actually push the likelihood of bringing her on side further away? For some people, that's the effect that it has. It actually backfires. Sometimes the best ally that conservatives have is the hard left and their consistent, unhinged overreach that alienates a lot of people. In this case... Maybe even one of the senators whose vote they need because folks out there on the left, squad, Pelosi, Schumer, others, you don't have the votes. Not yet. It's the Guy Benson Show. We continue with more critical race theory in clearer focus. That's coming up. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Great to have you along on The Guy Benson Show on this Friday. Happy Friday to you. I want to talk about schools, critical race theory, and gaslighting for just a moment. We will revisit this topic because we addressed it quite a lot in the lead up to the election in Virginia last month. We all know how that turned out. And one of the lines that we heard from the Democratic Party and from much of the media was that concerns about critical race theory, which I use as an umbrella term on racial indoctrination, racialized curricula, that was all just a figment of the imagination of some deranged right wingers. It's not being taught in schools. It doesn't really exist. It's just a giant lie to whip people up. And in fact, it's racist. It's a racist dog whistle. That's what Terry McAuliffe said, the Democratic candidate. He got a lot of support from folks in the press. Of course, he campaigned with one of the chief gaslighters in America on issues of education, Randy Weingarten. And then he lost. Virginia swung 12 points in one year. And Glenn Youngkin, who'd been campaigning on the issue of education, not just on CRT, but a whole host of issues, including school closures. They attacked Youngkin for not supporting masking in schools. Well, look how that turned out. School closures was a big part of it, by the way. But on CRT, this was the big picture lie. The lie being that CRT is a lie. 
we introduced a lot of evidence contradicting that lie. We had Christopher Rufo on this show going through with specificity, example after example. I confronted our friend Juan Williams on this subject, and with respect to Juan, I don't think that he had great answers for the points that I was making. And we're going to continue making the points because the gaslighting continues on the left. And what's helpful and actually in some ways very convenient for those of us who are interested in the truth on this subject is that we often have to look no further than the words of people in education and the words of leftists because they try to argue simultaneously that this is not happening. We're making it up. We're out of our minds. It's a conspiracy theory, but also that critical race theory and the teaching of critical race theory and the various incorporations of those themes in classrooms is a good thing. And they try to straddle that line, which, of course, is unstraddleable. So here's just one more piece of evidence. This is courtesy of the superintendent of Detroit's public schools. He was at a meeting. These are his words. No right winger forced him to say this. You have heard this before. I want to play it again because it's just another strand of proof that the gaslighting is, in fact, rooted in deceit. Cut 26, his words, Detroit superintendent. Our curriculum is uh, deeply using critical race theory, um, especially in social studies, but you'll find it uh, in English language arts and the other uh, disciplines. We made uh, we were very intentional about creating uh, curriculum, infusing materials, um, and embedding critical race theory within our curriculum. Infusing and embedding critical race theory within our curriculum. We do it very intentionally, he says. You'll see it in social studies, but elsewhere too, not just social studies. Many people insist till they're blue in the face that parents who see what's happening are deranged, are racist, are making this up are pulling it out of thin air. And then all you have to do is roll the tape on a clip like that. Meanwhile, I want to give you an update. We played some sound bites from a guy called Tony Kinnett, who is an official in the biggest school district in Indiana. Notice that these examples that I'm giving are not from Virginia. They're not from deep blue states like California or New York. It's upper Midwest states, Michigan, Indiana. So this guy works in the Indiana schools in a district in Indianapolis. And he blew the whistle. He came out and he said, flat out, when we tell you, we meaning the establishment, sort of the education officialdom, when we say to you, the parents, that CRT is nowhere to be found in our schools, we are intentionally lying. You might remember some of this. Here's just one part of what he said. Cut 42. This was a few weeks ago. When schools tell you that we aren't teaching critical race theory, it means one thing. Go away and look into our affairs no further. It isn't about transparency. It isn't about cultural relevance. It's race essentialism painted to look like the district cares about students of color. We call it anti-racism, so you feel bad if you disagree with our segregationist pedagogy. It's taking advantage of kids' vulnerability and parents' inactivity to preen over social snake oil schemes designed to create division. Parents, when we tell you critical race theory isn't taught in our schools, we're lying. Keep looking. So I kind of wondered what would happen to that guy for telling the truth. And he had specific examples that he cited in his video that he put out. Well, the New York Post a few days ago did an update. 
and I've been meaning to share this with you. An Indiana school administrator who went viral for explaining how critical race theory is covertly taught in schools says he's now been placed on leave, had his email access cut, and is banned from entering school buildings. Tony Kinnett, who works as a science coordinator for the Indianapolis Public Schools, posted a video on Twitter earlier this month accusing the school system of lying about CRT being taught in schools. Cliff has been viewed many, many times. He told the New York Post on Thursday that he's been put on leave with pay since he posted the video November 4th. He said HR has warned him that he would have to part ways with the district if he continued to act as a whistleblower and that staff have, quote, clinical anxiety working with him in the wake of his criticism, which goes to this sort of crazy snowflakery that underscores so much of leftism today. And frankly, there are also some snowflakes on the right who cannot handle dissident opinions, people who stray just slightly from the tribal line. It's a problem in our society. But these are the people teaching our children in Indianapolis. And when one of their colleagues speaks out, tells the truth, blows the whistle, we're always applauding whistleblowers, of course, except when we're not. When they're blowing the whistle on the wrong sorts of things, then you have clinical anxiety bouts just crippling people who have to work with this person who is unhappy with the racial indoctrination that's happening in schools with the schools lying to parents about it. The Post story also noted this. Kinnett said all of the information he has released was located on a public server. He's denied releasing any private data. And prior to his access being cut off, Kinnett said he downloaded racist documents and videos from the server and indicated he was going to release them at some point. He told the Post the district should come clean on whether they stand behind staff's racial gaslighting. So it sounds like in addition to what he's already said, he has the goods and they decide to lock him out and punish him. This is retribution. Right. This is revenge for what he did. But before they were able to lock him out of his account and bar him from school buildings, he was able to bring into his own possession some of the source materials that he's talking about. And I wonder if he might have a pretty strong retaliation lawsuit on his hands at some point if he wants to press that case. I don't know. I wanted to give an update there, though. That's what happened to him. Meanwhile, in Virginia... WTOP, quote, for the second straight year, enrollment in Virginia public schools has dropped with 46,000 fewer students enrolled since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. The biggest drop was in Fairfax County, heavily blue. Schools closed for much longer than schools were closed elsewhere. In the state, in the country, 5.4% drop in Fairfax County. The biggest drops are in blue counties. Surprise, surprise, where the schools were closed. Meanwhile, homeschooling, private schooling is up. Parents didn't just vote in the voting booth a few weeks ago. They are also voting with their feet. You can try to deny reality. You can tell people they're bigots and nuts for seeing what they're seeing. But reality does have a way often of prevailing. And on the education wars, it is so far, and may it continue to prevail. The Guy Benson Show continues after this break. Guy Benson will be right back. 
Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. It's the Guy Benson Show. Welcome back. Championship weekend in college football. I'm excited for that. It kicks off tonight. And joining us now to break it all down, Matt Napolitano, sports reporter, Fox News Headlines 24-7, Sirius XM Channel 115. Matt, welcome back. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas to you, my friend. Before we get into the games, I have to get your reaction to this performance from the newly minted head coach at LSU, Brian Kelly, who abandoned ship at Notre Dame. He addressed LSU fans at a basketball game. He's getting roasted everywhere. Cut 20. It's a great night to be a Tiger. I'm here with my family, and we are so excited to be in the great state of Louisiana. His family, where did this come from, Matt? This accent from uh, South Bend, Indiana? Yeah, um, last I checked, Brian Kelly's from Massachusetts originally, so I don't know if there's like a section in Massachusetts that's got that little bit of twang going on suddenly. I think uh, three years down the line, he's going to be sounding like Coach O by the end, screaming Gold Tigers, you know? <laughs> it's, it reminded me of Hillary Clinton when she was on the campaign trail. I think it was in 08, oh, when she man. went somewhere in the South. I ain't no ways tired. Just <laughs> Why? Why do you even try to do this? We all know that you're not southern south bend it doesn't mean you're from the south it's still indiana very weird but that's what brian kelly did he's got a tall order in lsu very high expectations in the sec of course and we'll get to the sec championship game here in just a second but let's start tonight oregon and utah for the pac-12 championship implications here and your prediction matt well, you know, this was a great matchup uh, a couple weeks ago. Actually, no, it wasn't because Utah just absolutely ripped through the Ducks 38-7. to And I'm actually expecting more of the same. I think Utah really looked impressive in that last game, really locked down the rushing game, really prevented Oregon from doing much on offense. I think we're going to get a repeat performance. I'm expecting actually another blowout tonight and Utah to come away with the Pac-12 title. And they're playing for the Rose Bowl, not the playoff. There's no one really seriously suggesting that the Pac-12 winner has any shot at going to the 14 playoff. However, there is some buzz around the Big 12 championship game, which is number nine Baylor and number five Oklahoma State coming off that impressive win against their rival OU. There is potentially a path for the winner of this game, maybe, maybe to sneak in. Who you got in this game and what are the chances the – Big 12 ends up with a team in the playoff. Well, based on what I saw in Bedlam last week, OK State looked absolutely impressive in that second half. And if they can show what they did on defense in that second half and roll it over against Baylor, it's going to be a good night. Plus, there's some uncertainty for the Bears. Jerry Bohan's got that leg injury. Don't know if he's going to be at full speed at QB for the Bears. So I'm leaning OK State on this. Now, earlier in the week, uh, the College Football Playoff Committee chairman, Gary Barta, had said 3-4-5 in the seedings right now was very, very close. So that's Alabama. Cincinnati, and then Oklahoma State. If Oklahoma State were to take this, I think Cincinnati is in a lot of danger of getting leapfrogged and OK State backs their way into this college football playoff, especially, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the SEC championship. I think even if Georgia were to beat Bama, it could end up just slipping Bama on down to four or just holding them tight at three. Uh, I mean, look, if if we'll get to the SEC here in a second. I have some thoughts on that. But since you mentioned Cincinnati, number four Cincinnati versus number 21 Houston, that's for the AAC championship game. So you're telling me 
that you believe there's a world in which Cincinnati, the Bearcats, win. Therefore, they win out. They're 13-0, and and they somehow drop out of the top four? I say this only because we've seen the history of how this committee treats non-Power 5 football. And, you know, it was a shock to everybody when the initial rankings came out and they had Cincinnati at six. Now the fact that they finally slip in at number four and they're holding tight, it just it's something to me, the fact that it was put out there by Gary Barta that, hey, these are all pretty neck and neck. So it's essentially saying, brace yourself, Cincinnati. You're about to yeah. be screwed if things don't go your way. If well, look, they've got to win. Well, it's scrubbed. Yeah. Well, yeah, first things first, yeah. Cincinnati's got to win. They've got to win and maybe try to win in impressive fashion. I think it would be awfully hard and unfair to boot Cincinnati out at that point. I think you'd see a huge outcry, especially since they've made it into the top four. And then they go ahead and win their championship game and get thrown out of the top four. I don't know about that. Before we circle down to the Big Ten and the SEC, quickly, tomorrow night, number 15, Pittsburgh, number 16, Wake Forest, ACC championship. Not exactly a marquee matchup that has a whole lot of implications beyond New Year's Six games, but still, what's your pick there? I'm leaning towards Pitt on this one. Uh, Kenny Pickett's been impressive all season long at QB. He's actually getting some Heisman buzz, so I'm curious to see if he winds up being amongst the finalists that are going to be announced on Monday. Wake Forest has had a very impressive season. There's been a reawakening within that football program. That's great to see, but I'm leaning Pitt on this one. Yeah, I'm not taking anything away from either of those programs, by the way. Ten and two uh, in both schedules there for those two teams that's impressive those are very good seasons but in the mid-teens they are not jumping up it's sort of a similar situation to the Pac-12 all right let's then shift to the Big Ten and we're going to finally circle back to the SEC in just a second number two Michigan with that blowout finally beating Ohio State last week with the snow falling in Ann Arbor and everyone rushing the field they're at 11 and one their only loss being Michigan State. Then out of the West, you've got Iowa, ranked number 13. Iowa has been sort of hit and miss this season, but they're 10-2. and two. Big Ten's been weird. I mean, one of the only consistent factors in the Big Ten was Northwestern being absolutely horrible all year, but it's a pretty parody-filled conference. Is there a chance that Iowa shocks Michigan and really throws this thing into chaos? Well, I think there is this leaning possibility only because the Hawkeyes' defense has been incredible all season long. 28 turnovers uh, so far this season. Yeah, they had those stumbles against Purdue and Wisconsin, but they came out the gate this season looking like a force to be reckoned with. Kirk Ferentz really has got a tight ship going over there. They are going to give Michigan a run for their money. Do I think that they beat Michigan in this game? No, I think this is finally Jim Harbaugh's time. He's finally going to get his moment of reaching that stage of the college football playoff especially after that win he had over Ohio State. It's actually well-deserved, and I say that as somebody well, they've never, who I feel like for two years now has been calling for Jim Harbaugh's ouster. Well, I mean, Arbor, not even, so. Matt, it's not just getting into the playoff for the first time. They have never been in a Big Ten championship game before, ever, That's the right. University yeah. of Michigan. Since that game has existed, Michigan has never made it. That streak obviously ends tomorrow night, 8 p.m. on Fox. Iowa, I don't know. I watched that Iowa game against their rival Iowa State early in the season. If they can play like that, they might have a shot against Michigan. Finally, number one Georgia, number three Alabama in the SEC. Does Georgia finally get the monkey off their back and defeat the Crimson Tide? I think that this is the year because if we saw what Alabama's O-line looked like last week against Auburn in that Iron Bowl, which, by the way, can we get rid of the two-point possession overtime? That was just atrocious. Oh, it's that awful. really ruined it for me. 
Uh, that being said, if that Alabama O-line plays like they did last week, Georgia's front seven on defense is going to have an absolute field day in this SEC championship. I think this is the Bulldogs' time. They're also expecting to get George Pickens, their star receiver back, from that torn ACL that he suffered in spring practice just in time for this one. I think Georgia comes away with the SEC title. Yeah. Kirby Smart gets that victory, and Bulldogs head the number one seed into the college football playoffs. Yeah, they've earned number one for a reason. They've been dominant. I know my Georgia fan friends are still very scared about Alabama. They've been burned a lot of times. I tend to think they're going to get it done, and if they do, Bama has to be out. Their second loss, they might not be because of what the committee does, but they should be out. We'll see what happens a big weekend ahead. Matt Napolitano, sports reporter for Fox News Headlines 24-7. You hear him on Sirius XM Channel 115. Matt, enjoy the weekend. Thanks for stopping by. Hey, thank you, guy. Have a good one. The happy hour, straight ahead. News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It's the Happy Hour on this Friday. Welcome in. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. I'm Guy Benson. Glad to have you here. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast is always free and on demand. And this hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. There will be a lot of it available at my Christmas party tomorrow night. We have more than 100 cans of Long Drink across several varieties available for our guests tomorrow evening, one of whom is joining me shortly. TheLongDrink.com is their website. You can find out where the product is sold near you. You can order online, thelongdrink.com. It really is delicious. 21 plus only, always drink responsibly. Thank you. And as we begin the happy hour, let us begin with Cat Timpf, Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld, weeknights at 11 p.m. on Fox News Channel. It was fun being on earlier in the week. Also co-host of the Tyrus and Timpf podcast, available at foxnewspodcast.com. Cat, hello. Hi, I'm so glad you brought up the Christmas party. And the whole reason I agreed to do this, Ted, is because I need to be able to talk to you. What is smart, festive, casual? I still don't really understand. You describe what it is for a man. I'm not a they, them. I'm not a he, him. I'm a she, her. And I don't know what to wear. Well, I am not good with women's clothing. You don't, no, so but I, you've had this party and you've seen women at it. Okay. So like yes. this is part of your responsibility as the host of this party. Is to tell you what to wear? To give me some parameters. I, okay, so I know that I don't own anything appropriate, right? I already know that. Um, no, I think you probably do. No, I certainly do not. <laughs> I own, like, Misfits merch and leggings and, like, <laughs> news clothes. And that's all that I have. So, so yeah. So this is what I, I sort of gave you guidance on what dudes are what wearing. what a male so, should wear, yes. Yeah, so I'm going to wear probably corduroy pants, some nice you shoes. You didn't even mention corduroys when you talked to me. See, I'm giving you more information. Okay. This is why you have to do the show. I might okay. do some Argyle socks, perhaps, and All I'll right. have a, a button-down shirt with either a light sweater over it or a sport coat. 
and that will be the look for me. Okay. And that might be on the dressier side. I don't know what the female equivalent of that necessarily is, but as I try to remember, it's been now two years since we had one of these big parties because of COVID, it's it's a variety. So, right, you'll have some women in, like, nice jeans, nice shoes, maybe a sweater or a cute little jacket. Other women do wear dresses, if I recall correctly. Um, I'm really not being helpful, am I? No. Like, at all. I mean, like, you've seen a woman before. <laughs> I've seen a few. Yes, back back in the day. <laughs> I'm just saying, you have viewed a f- person who is female, at, like at your house, uh, and I just don't like. I don't know, and like, so I have to go after work and to a shop where they. We sell- should ask Megan. You know who's going to have probably a good idea is Megan McCain. She did, and, and she I- sent me, and I do not have what she is wearing. She's wearing like a like a suit type thing, but like it's red and like festive. I don't have Christmassy. I mean, the thing the, sh- the dress I'm wearing now is sort of Christmassy, but it's like newsy. And I'm also wearing. Yeah, it, it looks tonight. like you're about to sit down on the outnumbered couch, yes. right? Which is not not exactly the look, but no one would bat an eye, right? That's the other thing. No one ultimately cares. Adam bought some new pants that are red with little Christmas trees on them. He also <laughs> once wore to one of these parties a sweater featuring a reindeer throwing up Christmas gifts. Yeah. That's the level of class that we sometimes allow. Look, it's not going to be that. It's going to be nice, but not that classy. Producer Christine is coming. Okay, so just unnecessary just remember slander that. of producer Christine. <laughs> oh no, I, very necessary, not a slander. But you could always like have a little gal pal chat with Christine about what she's wearing, and then dial it back a few notches, and that's what you should wear. Can you say assless chaps on this show? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you can. Okay, I so we can, if I don't, uh, you, if I don't our... get more guidance, that's what I'm wearing. <laughs> wow, well, that would definitely, that might make it into Politico playbook. Right? <laughs> I'm hoping that the party does not. That detail might somehow sneak out into the public eye. That might be exactly what you and your publicist want. I will say I am though. Mrs. Claus on their anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. Naughty Mrs. Claus. <laughs> so we are, in all seriousness, super excited to see you and to see Cam. You guys have never been down to the house. Never. So just for that reason alone, we are stoked on it. The one, and I actually was talking about this with my parents yesterday on the phone, the one bummer of the whole situation is Kennedy can't come. I know, because she's busy bettering herself and striving for her goals and all that. I know. She's going to run 100 miles or something, which is fine. I'm not that mad about it, but like of the... friend group that I'm thinking of here, she's going to be the glaringly missing component. Yeah, for and me also. As you might imagine, Kat, and as you have experience in your own life, Kennedy at these parties is like the life of the party. She is so much fun. Yes. Yeah. She rolled in a couple of years ago late. Like she, she couldn't get to the party until 11 or midnight. And you would think that maybe it was starting to wind down at that point. No, she rolled in wearing something hilarious, wearing one of her beanie hats, totally fine. And I believe she had multiple bottles of rosé Prosecco that she was then just popping. And then I think she was also making like some sort of martini, like a chocolate coffee martini at midnight for people, which is an escalation that's probably not a great idea. But it was super fun. Right. I'm really that will fun not occur this year. At a party, yeah, no, that's but a I'm not going to do things for other people. <laughs> right. You will be fun to have there, but you're yes. not going to be like, hey, let me make you something. No, I'll be like, help me. But, but since I've gotten married, it's, I just, whenever I don't know what to do, or I, I just go, Cam. Sometimes he's not even around, and I'm like, whoa. How dare he? How dare he be gone? With How dare he? Business I need something. Where, why did I get married? 
Just kidding. We're in love. It's a holy union. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Greg often makes that point. What a great and thriving marriage it is. Actually, do you ever, does it ever bug you at all? Because I know people sometimes get mad on your behalf. I know that it's shtick. It doesn't bother me yeah. in the least. But people get mad on your behalf that Greg calls you a drug addicted woman in a sham marriage. Like those are the two <laughs> go-tos like every night on that show. Not really. I mean, I guess like <laughs> I, if that were true, I don't I, I don't think I'd still be working. You know, I think that I would have been offered the rehab by HR by now. You know what I mean? <laughs> if I was really shooting up heroin at work the way that he says I am. It's escalated. Yesterday he made a joke about me doing heroin. Um, so it's not just crack and meth anymore and booze. <laughs> Um, we've we've rounded it out the big four. Um, no, and like the cam thing, it doesn't bother him either. I mean, like oh no, Greg, total shrug. Greg hosts us at his writer's cabin all the time. You know, like we're all buds, um, and it's just so interesting to get mad on my behalf because I also don't think that I I really don't think it would be people would get as shocked by it or offended by it if I was a dude. I think a lot of it is because I'm a woman. Um, and like he's talking to a woman like that. And I think that that is really that attitude is far more sexist and of- offensive overall to me than any joke that he's ever made about me. Like, I think okay. it's a quality that he feels comfortable ripping on me like that. Because I certainly rip on him, too. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, you give it right back, yeah. which is part of the reason the show's been so successful. Part of the other reason is like the other shows are so lame. I saw <laughs> Stephen Colbert went on a huge rant about the Supreme Court that was barely coherent in terms of civics. Jimmy Kimmel did a whole thing beating up on the critics of... Dr. Anthony Fauci. That all sounds hilarious, doesn't it, Kat? Oh, wow, man. I, I, I'm i dying over here. <laughs> Meanwhile, and I, I will say it's nice that Greg is now diversifying the illicit drugs. Yeah, now it's heroin. Because it, it was a little me- He gave me a box for my on my birthday show. It was just a box covered in white paper, and it just said in Sharpie on it, meth, smiley face. <laughs> I mean, those. that's what your budget can afford for props. Right. And it's At just- Gutfeld. I I just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's the other thing is like these shows have like that horrible dancing syringe sketch. I mean, that had a choreographer that had like a costume designer. We don't have any of that. We have a box with some wigs and beards in it and mustaches. And uh, that's it. Like send the intern down to the Halloween store. Yes, that's exactly what we do. With $20 in cash. Yeah, like this, like, and then tell them to be back in 20 minutes because we have 15 minutes to shoot this. (laughs) <laughs> That's exactly. Meanwhile, I want to ask you this because it happened to me last night. I was on with Shannon Bream, the mm-hmm. evil Shannon evil Bream, Shannon as Greg Bream calls her. Greg yeah. calls her. <laughs> I, I was on with her uh, midnight last night, just after the top of the hour. I was on with Dr. McCary. We were talking about a few different topics. I don't know if you've ever had this issue before where something goes catastrophically wrong in your earpiece, in your IFB, while you're on live yes. television and you don't know what to do about it. So. They set me up. Everything is looking fine. Everything is sounding fine. I'm doing it from the home studio. And when they come to me and the first question is asked of me after the doctor had said something, out of nowhere in my earpiece was just loud, static and screeching and feedback. And it wasn't even consistent. It was just – it was all over the place. It was unpredictable and it seemed like it would flare up at random, but it happened – for like 20 or 30 seconds in a row. And I have no idea if people on the air can see this, if Shannon can hear me properly. I just had to plow through and try to focus my brain on saying words. And apparently to the home viewer, it was completely normal looking. I went back, I watched the segment, and thankfully I think people at home would have no idea, but it was extremely hard to form 
cogent thoughts and analysis when you have, it sounds like torture sounds in my ear. Why didn't you just take it out, bro? Well, I thought about popping (laughs) it out, but the problem was I had to then hear if she had a follow-up question or something because we're all doing it remote. Maybe I should have taken it out and then as soon as I finished, put it back in. But I thought that would be perhaps distracting to the viewer. So I just I powered through. So you were you were a you know you you sac- you threw yourself on the sword for the sake of the viewer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for the for the midnight show. I didn't want anyone thrown off too much. I, oh. You know what? I'm glad you're sort of. I think my point to this that you've just underscored is that I'm a hero. I think yes. this is heroic. Thank you for your service. <laughs> yes, half service is that what no, you call I have, yours? No, I mean I I haven't served, but I have half served because I married a veteran. So I'm a half veteran, meaning I half served. For example, I unloaded the dishwasher a few weeks ago. Thank you for your service. (laughs) And people get mad at you for that. People get mad at Greg for the drug jokes and the marriage jokes. And they get mad at you. For saying I'm a half veteran. Yeah, the half veteran jokes. But you said it's like not veterans. Not veterans. No, nobody, everybody who's mad, like people who are actually veterans, they'll tell me how funny they think it is. Uh, Because I'm obviously, it's, I'm, I'm obviously when I do that, I'm making myself the punchline, right? That's like, I'm the punchline of that joke. Like I'm a half veteran. Like the punchline, the punchline is that I haven't, I haven't, I have not made that sacrifice for this country. Like that's, that's the punchline of the joke. And they, they, they understand that, but it's other, it's other people trying to be offended on behalf of veterans. They're like, you're, or the people who honestly fact check me. That's the best. That's the best. There's no such thing as a half veteran. It's like, oh, thank you. Thank you, Brenda. Thanks, Janet. Thank you, Brenda. I really, <laughs> Brenda, you opened my stupid, stupid eyes. I, I don't know what I'd do without you. Thank you for your service, Brenda. Then what would she do? Because would she say thank you? Because yeah, she's, she's not a veteran stolen, either, Brenda. Stolen valor stolen by valor, Brenda. Brenda. <laughs> I wonder if you go with the asshole chaps thing at the party and yeah, there's a photo of it. Can we just post that on social with the caption, thank you for your service? Absolutely. Let's just, let's get everyone upset. Uh, everyone upset at me. I want to be bleeding followers by Monday. <laughs> I don't know if that would be the outcome, but I'm not sure the followers you would gain yeah, are the I ones that you necessarily Yeah, I think it would be a crossover want. episode. Like, it would be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, the good ones are gone and yeah. the other ones arrive? Yeah, exactly. All at once. Now, speaking of attire, I don't know if you saw this story. Bank of America has been asking some of their yes. junior executives and staffers to dress down in New York City. Don't dress in nice clothing because it might draw attention to yourself. It might suggest that you have wealth and you could get mugged. That doesn't seem like a great place for any company to be in where the city is so dangerous that they're like, hey, don't ask for it by dressing nice. Yeah, I thought we weren't supposed to say, like, you're asking for it if you dress a certain way, first of all. Uh, second of all, I mean, I feel really bad for all the finance bros with their watches. And I say this as someone who's married to a finance bro with watches. Uh, you know, they <laughs> love wearing their little watches and being like, look, Mo, what'd you get oh, there? Oh, look, here's mine. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, I really don't care, but they are all, they like it. And just so weird to have a memo be like, make sure you when you come to work, you look bad. <laughs> uh, I mean, okay. Like you- because if you don't, someone might violently attack you. I mean, or, or like, I, is this, am I being punked? You know, it's like, this is real life. But it's crazy, especially because that office is kind of like right by where, you know, I am, where we are here. Oh, it's close. Yeah. It's like just a few blocks away. I think it's right on 6th Avenue, actually. Yeah, it is so on 6th Avenue. That's a little worrisome there. Like, all right, dope, uh, dope, dope. Good thing I come to work looking every day like what does Gutfeld say? 
Oh yeah, he says like a homeless teen runaway, which is like really, <laughs> I was mad I didn't think of it first because that's how I, I come in looking. But then I leave looking that's like a sexy not, librarian Barbie, so it's all it's not good. not too far off. Those no, are it's both accurate. kind of weirdly correct. Yes. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break. It's the Guy Benson Show with Kat Timp. It's the happy hour. Stay tuned. Guy Benson will be right back. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's the Friday Happy Hour on The Guy Benson Show. We have Kat Timp with us. And Kat, last thing... I have been very loosely following the Elizabeth Holmes trial, Theranos, and that whole thing. And there's clearly something deeply wrong with her, not just the deepness of that fake voice. Have you seen this uh, release of her daily schedule yes. that she wrote down? Right, so 4 to 4.15 a.m., wash face, change, 4.15 to 4.45, meditate, clear mind, 4.45 to 5.20, work out, 5.20 to 6.20, change, shower, shave, perfect, yeah. And on and on it goes. Do you have this type of schedule that you keep for yourself as well, Kat? Does it seem familiar? Does this ring a bell, the 4 a.m. wake up? Yeah, I'm waking the, up uh, every walk. day at 4 a.m. to work out and meditate, guy. Like, <laughs> I, the worst was her, her affirmations at the end that were like, I am, I'm not emotional and I'm... I'm like calm and reasonable. Yeah. I, I do not lot. hesitate. I, have, I, have I know lot. the outcome of every encounter. I constantly make decisions and change team as needed. I give immediate feedback, non-emotionally. I speak rarely when I do. Crisp, concise. I call BS immediately. I am fully present. Yeah. I mean, she, it's, it's crazy because she seemed like she's such a power woman and then she's like a liar, but now she's apparently, this is like. The, this is the, you know, the writings of a deeply insecure creature. <laughs> so. I am trying to figure out how they got a hold of this. It's like written by hand on a scrap paper from a hotel in Singapore. Like, where was this entered into evidence? Also, why is it relevant? I mean, it's weird. It kind of makes your And look, people have their own way of getting through life and planning. I have this whole massive sheet of paper planning for the party that I wrote in purple ink. I, that's Ugh, a little I'm going to find that and I'm going to release it to the media. I mean, by all means, feel I'm free. I'm going like, to leak it to the media. Put long drink in fridge. That was one thing that I checked off this morning, oh, actually. Oh, boy. You just wait till Raw Story gets a hold of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll blow it up. Fox News contributor plans party with alcohol. Uh, well, Kat, we are unfortunately... Up on a break, but the good news, at least for me selfishly, is my fun interactions with you are only getting started for the weekend as we are so close to the weekend starting. The party is T-minus 24 hours and change from right now. Cannot wait to see you. Cannot wait to see Cam, the other friends that you're bringing. I will let you know you are like the only person that I said yes to for plus ones beyond the plus one. I appreciate it. You're a dear friend, and you do this show and put up with so much nonsense. Listen, I'm going to make it all worth your while. I am a f- I am nothing if not a good time. That is absolutely <laughs> true. And now I am weirdly looking forward to seeing what you decide to wear. Since well, you called me out at the very beginning, of not you are going to figure out smart, festive, casual, and it's going to be spectacular. That's my prediction. I appreciate that. That's my affirmation. That's my Elizabeth Holmes. Yes, I can yes, fig- write it down. I figure. I know smart, festive, casual. <laughs> I invented smart, festive, casual, <laughs> non emotionally. <laughs> 
Cat Tim, Fox News contributor. You can watch her tonight on Gutfeld, 11 p.m. Eastern Time, Fox News Channel. Check out her podcast with Tyrus at foxnewspodcast.com. See you soon, Cat. See you soon. We'll be right back. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. It is a happy hour on a Friday. Thanks for listening. It's the Guy Benson Show. Earlier today, we spoke with Josh Krausauer, politics editor at National Journal and a Fox News radio political analyst. A lot to get to in terms of looking at the political landscape and casting our eyes ahead toward 2022. Here's part of my conversation with Josh K. All right, Josh, let's talk a bit about politics. I want to start with this soundbite because I saw it and I watched it last night and I was sort of confused it is cut 25. This is a, an answer, a statement given by Abigail Spanberger, who is one of the sort of more moderate Democrats. She's from Virginia. She's going to be in for a big fight, of course, in 2022. She was talking about Build Back Better, the Democrats' reconciliation spending bill. And uh, here's what she said. Listen. And then it was outrageously sort of incomprehensible dollar amounts. Am I talking about six trillion or three trillion or one point seven five? Right. When at the end of the day, those same people who are stressed out because their kids are about to go back to school and they're worried about covid. And do we put them on the bus or do we drive them or do we have them in aftercare? Do we not? You know, and oh, my goodness, I think prices are kind of creeping up at the grocery store and someone's on television arguing over three trillion or six trillion. Like it's kind of a head exploding moment. So, Josh, that would sound like a fairly decent argument to be making if you're a Democrat about why you are opposed to spending trillions of dollars. But she voted for the bill, Josh. And yeah. I, I mean, I just don't understand. What is she doing? She's basically making a very persuasive argument against something that she just voted for. Yeah, guys, she's been making she's that argument is essentially what I've been we've been talking about on the show over the last couple months in that you can look at certain polls and maybe you can find things that poll favorably within the Build Back Better legislation, but it is at, at odds with what most voters say they want out of the economy. That they're, they're worried about inflation. They're worried about higher prices, and they're also worried that the, 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 the excessive spending could cause unintended consequences, maybe even intended consequences when it comes to you know the, these inflationary effects. And yet you're right. She she was among or all but one, I think, of her House Democratic colleagues yep. in support yep. of, of the at least the House version of Build Back Better, which, by the way, is even more expensive than what it, it could come out of the Senate if it ever gets through the Senate. So, you know, there, there is this disconnect between what I think she understands is the political reality of what voters are telling her and, and where swing voters are throughout the country. But you're not seeing the actions uh you know, you know, corresponding actions and, and, and adjustments take place. And it, it reminds me, I mean, Spanberger was one of the um, members who was really worried about defund the police and, and how that was cost the Democrats politically. That full interview with Josh Krasauer of National Journal available online. Our podcast is free every day, including bonus Benson on the weekends. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, the home stretch. The party is now basically almost exactly 24 hours away, our big Christmas party. Producer Christine is beside herself with questions. We will get to those questions as best we can on the home stretch straight ahead. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on this Friday. 
Yeah, it's the Friday ahead of the Christmas party that we've been now arguably hyping at this point for the last couple of days. It's our annual tradition. I think part of the reason is it's back. Last year, we had to do this really bastardized, small, sad version with very few people, distanced and partially outside and all that stuff. This year, it's like we're going big. You say go big or go home, but it is at our home. But go big. And we're embracing it. Did I mention the website? GuyBensonShow.com. Free podcast. Bonus Benson on the weekends. All that stuff. So I want to make sure that I do that. So (laughs) we did our official last check on guests going through the RSVPs. We believe that our attendance number is 113. There'll be a few drop-offs, but there might be a few surprise plus ones. This always happens. So I'm going to guess about 110 people over the course of the evening, which is exciting but also nerve-wracking because that's a lot of people. It's like a wedding. The tent arrived today. Roy was going absolutely crazy, our dog, barking at the guys as they were setting up. It's a huge tent, which we need. It's like a second living room. We need that space. There's a heater. We've got the sort of the sides to the tent with the fake windows, that whole look. So Roy was barking like crazy. One of the workers told him to shut up in Spanish. Cállate. I laughed. I thought it was hilarious. Roy has no idea what that means. He has not been trained in Spanish. I know what it meant, though. It was funny. So I was showing producer Christine and the team on the uh, on the Zoom call earlier, our FaceTime that we always do as we prepare for the show, what the tent looks like. We have not done any sort of sweeping out there or setting up chairs or anything like that, but it's coming together. It's really happening. We are so excited. And producer Christine is, of course, curious Christine. She has lots of questions. I felt already nearly attacked by Kat Timpf earlier in the hour where she was like needing my advice about what to wear. Here's a pro tip. Don't ask me for my advice on what to wear. We put out a generic, meaningless sounding thing, smart, festive, casual. You interpret it however you want. I'm probably going to steer you wrong, especially if you're a lady. I know many people say that I'm a fashion leader, but I don't know. I just dispensing advice on the radio. I think she'll be fine. But producer Christine has many questions. Before we get to some of her questions that I've been promising that we will answer here, we did get a strange voicemail earlier today. It is from Bob in New Jersey. Bobby, Christine's husband, wanted to relay a few things to me before the party. Let's listen to this together. Cut 39. Hey, guy. It's Cookie's better half here. Just want to run a few things by you (laughs) ahead of this weekend's uh, soiree. First of all, thank you for letting me bring my dog, Rosie. I think her and Roy will get along famously. Uh, Wanted to touch base, too. Christine said you wanted her to bring boxes of wine. Uh, That's fine. That's doable. But I'm at Costco. Uh. I think there's a pretty good deal on a jug of wine. I wonder if that would be better. (laughs) Also, Christine mentioned Rice Krispie treats. Do you want those individually wrapped, or should I make them at home and bring them? It's very important you get back to me on this. Finally, she mentioned that there's going to be a carousel there. Now, I hope uh, she means a merry-go-round and not a pony. Because she has a little PTSD from her uh, carousel incident from years ago. Uh, so if you can get back to me, let me know uh, before we get down there. That would be fantastic. Thanks, Guy. <laughs> That's good. He hit a lot of the jokes in that very short voicemail. And, yeah, she has carousel PTSD 
in the same way that Alec Baldwin has PTSD, apparently. No regrets for producer Christine staring into the eyes of her childhood pony and pulling the trigger. Or not, as Alec Baldwin claims. So, Christine, you have fed your husband so much misinformation. His head is now swimming with wrong stuff. So much appreciated on the jug of wine offer and the crispy treats and all of that. There will be no carousel, rest assured. You've seen to it. No, There's no carousel for anyone anymore. That's been true for a while. Poor carousel, rest her soul. Somewhere in a garbage dump in Staten Island. We all know. But let's, let's get back into the realm of reality. And let's try to address some of your curious Christine questions because I do worry that you might have certain ideas and I want to dispel as many of them as possible here in the time that we have left before you show up in my house after pre-gaming at Quiet Wyatt's house, by the way. He's going to have unlimited herbal tea. He's going to have hard copies backdated of the Wall Street Journal. It is going to be wild for you guys. So I hope you don't get, you know, a little too crazy before you roll in tomorrow night with even Maxie's coming back, which is very exciting. What are some of the top pieces of guidance that you're seeking from me, producer Christine? Well, the first was going to be a tire, but after your answer to Kat, I'm not sure who to ask. About this, but what I'm thinking is, can't you just talk to? Don't girls talk to each other about this stuff? Isn't this what girls do? So she she was a little busy today. So I what normally I probably would speak to her. I, she had a fabulous outfit on that was green, and I said you should just wear that. But um, festive. What are you planning to wear? Like, what is your general thought of what you might be wearing? So to me, festive, you mentioned a leopard print. Yeah, animal print is always festive. No. Not for Christmas. Sure. Animal print could be, I mean, in New Jersey, animal print can be for any holiday. Let's be Christine, honest. Christine, it is not 1 a.m. in a casino in Atlantic City. This is a nice Christmas party in Northern Virginia. So uh, the stiletto, the, the inches, are we talking like two, three, or six? Because sometimes with leopard, you need a very, very high heel. Are the shoes made out of carousels remains? Oh, that was just wrong. Just wrong. So I guess I will figure out my attire on my own. I will bring several, several animal print outfits and some mm. faux fur. And oh. I will just put, you know. I'm going to throw red paint on you, not because I have a problem with fur, but because I just don't like the look. I'm going to shame you for another reason. Shame. Shame. Now, shame. Get the whole party chanting at you. You're going to do that anyway. Uh, and by the way, I love how you asked Kat how she felt because, you know, Greg makes these dr- jokes about her being, a, you know, a drug addict. You every day insinuate I'm an alcoholic who killed Not a pony. Not every day. No. Okay. Well, I mean, the, the pony thing happened and also like the Soviet spy stuff. But no, the, the, the alcohol stuff is maybe once or twice a week. And that's different than meth. Yeah, I guess. It's not the same as heroin. Okay. Uh, on that, um, would it be I weird just if I accept that? You're yeah. like, okay, moving on. Well, because I do have a question about alcohol. Um, I know you're doing, you're not doing spirits per se, correct? Only the long drink, which is premium liquor, as you know, Christine. Now, do you accept if I, I know you don't want the Rice Krispie treats. I, I could tell you're not really intrigued by that. What well, about? I, you can tell because I said it explicitly. No, I don't want it. Yes. I mean, so yeah. I, I'm glad that you picked up on that. That's very perceptive. What about? Jello shots with vodka. Oh, no. 
Oh, no. First of all, I'm a non-vodka drinker. I cannot stand vodka. Jello shots are a throwback to college, and they were not even a good idea then in my 21-year-old body, let alone my 36-year-old body. We are going to say a hard no on the Jello shots. They're more fun than in theory, I would say, than in reality. So then you definitely don't want the vodka-infused strawberries I was thinking of making. And then I was going to put— Well, no— these are the things also I will remind you what we were open to was jello shots at the July barbecue that you said you were coming to and then just completely ghosted us. So that was your big chance. Actually, now I'm wondering if you're even going to show up or is this going to be another example of Cookie just having better things to do on a Saturday night? Anyway, please go on. Next question. So don't bring my own bottle of vodka and hand it to the bartender and say, give him like a 20 and be like, I'll be back. <laughs> No, let's let's avoid that. There's going to be plenty of booze. Okay. You don't need to bring a flask. Oh, I have so many. I was thinking about bringing I know. The, the one that looks like no, a bracelet. I, you've actually, you've shown us your flasks before. It's been a long time. This was, I think, back in the Benson and Harf days. You sent a text message with all of your flasks laid out like it was the police who did a big drug bust with all the guns. Like, look what we found in this stash house, this trap house. That's what it looked like, but it was with your booze flasks. I have a pretty— So I know. I know that you have like a bracelet. Yes, a rose rose gold bracelet I was thinking about wearing. Now, uh, another thing is what time do you need me there? Should I be there to greet the guest with you and Adam? Can I make an entrance Uh, maybe like a a little bit later? Uh, I am—I think uh, Wyatt, Maxie, Bobby, and myself are going to go out to dinner beforehand. Okay. You know, so I you'll think be it's showing smart. up it's probably smart more eat. in the, the swing of the party at that point. I think, yes, getting getting some food would be a good idea, a little baseline there uh, to absorb some of the alcohol once you arrive. That's probably a good idea. You might not be hungry for our delicious past foods at that point, though. Oh, don't worry. And we I have will. some really good stuff. It, it, I will have it all. But, but did you – I mean I could <laughs> get the boys set up at the restaurant, come to your house to greet – you know, some of the early no, comers. No, no, you, you You spend as much time as you'd like away from the party. You know, far, I, far away from the party. I offered And then you this. can arrive with the whole team. Where are you guys going to dinner, by the way? Have you made that decision yet? I have some ideas. I don't want to stay on air because, you know, people show up and, you know, what oh, happens. Oh, yeah, you're public. Yeah, the paparazzi. <laughs> we don't want to tip them off. You can text me later. How about that? Uh, I'll send it to I, page I six. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, now, Cookie spotted stumbling out of blank. Now, uh, what kind of party games? You're not you... driving, are you? Can we just say? No. Gosh, okay, no. Okay, all, right. all right. Go on. Go um, on. Party games of any None. sort. Because no. I have- It's too big. I have a, too no, many no, no. people. I have a blow-up um, reindeer nope. antlers. Nope. And then no. ring toss. So I put the antlers on, and then people throw the rings, and then I have to catch them. No projectiles. No inflatable anything. Next question. How long can I stay until- I would say if you start to look around and it's looking kind of thin at that point, I don't care if it's a really fun group of people. I think that if people are kind of giving you the look like, oh, this, this one's kind of uh, cooked. It's, it might be time to pour her into an Uber and, and send her off to the hotel. I think that's probably the moment. It's probably not going to work for you, but I think Bobby will know. This is where I'm counting on Bobby. And Maxie and Quiet Wyatt. Okay. And last question. Um, I won't bring my notebook to take phone numbers down, 
but I will have my cell phone with me. How much booking can I do? Can I at least get next week booked up? I mean, that's I need at least Monday so I can recover Sunday. No booking at the party. You'll be extremely tempted because many Fox people will be there. A smorgasbord, a bouillabaisse of options, if you will. And I just need you to contain yourself. And remember, just like at the wedding, sometimes it's okay to just let go of the producing responsibilities, have a nice time, and don't be hounding. Keep this in mind. You might get someone to agree to something, and they've had a few drinks. They're not going to remember either. So just avoid it altogether. And then you can always say, hi, so-and-so. It's Cookie from the party. You may have met me. I'm still so sorry for throwing up on you. However, are you available to do the show on Monday? Right. That's the type of thing you can send on Sunday, I would say. All right. I think please, you Please don't throw up. Please don't throw up. Oh, no, that usually, no, that's the next day. Don't worry. I'm responsible at night. <laughs> okay. That's, that's very good. Plus, you wouldn't want to ruin your carousel heels anyway because those are a prized possession, a trophy almost, if I don't, you will. I don't throw up on faux fur and leather and leopard. Yeah. Yeah. You're that classy. You save it for the real deal. All right. Are you feeling confident, comfortable, and ready? I think so. I, I, I think so. I, you got to ask Wyatt. Is he ready for, for Cookie to enter Wyatt DC? Wyatt has been laughing his ass off through the glass here throughout this entire segment. I'm not even sure if he's prepared to comment on this. Wyatt, are you ready to have this character show up at your house tomorrow? Guy, I think I'm going to start drinking at probably 4 a.m. while I'm reading the Wall Street Journal tomorrow morning. <laughs> you wake up. Because <laughs> it's going to be quite a day. Self-medication for quiet Wyatt. He'll be very quiet. He might just like curl up in the field position and, and nap at the party, which is perfectly fine. We'll give him some warm milk. He and Roy can just hang out. We are off the rails. We are completely gone. The good news is we're out of time, so we can't go any further afield. Have a great weekend. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. A full report, hopefully not involving any police reports, on Monday. It's The Guy Benson Show. Listen to be part of the conversation with me, Brian Kilmeade. I'll talk about the biggest stories of the day and get your take along with some of the biggest newsmakers around. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at FoxNewsPodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.